are called, but only a few are chosen. It's a calling, you know, the one you can't ignore, the one that creeps up at your door at 2 a.m. and reminds you to study for your human anatomy quiz due at 4. Welcome to Melanin Healthcare Rebranded, strategically giving you resourceful strategies to implement into your journey as a pre-med or med student. Today, we have a special guest. She has been on Melanin Healthcare before to discuss her wonderful journey as a nurse practitioner. And if you haven't seen that episode, go back and watch it. But today, we're going to talk about COVID-19 from her perspective, how we can navigate through it, and many tips for combating this deadly virus. Stay tuned for more. Welcome to the show, Dr. Brown. How are you today? I am well. Thank you for having me again. Thank you. And today we're just going to discuss COVID-19 with a nurse practitioner. So let's begin. Dr. Brown, if you had known eight years ago that a huge pandemic would drastically change the entire healthcare system, would you still have taken the route of nurse practitioner? Absolutely. Um, I believe that... Now is the time, now that more than ever, that you need as many healthcare providers in different areas of specialty um, to kind of hone in and treat this. It's an overwhelming virus and we need all parties on board to, to fight this thing. I agree. How do you feel this pandemic will affect the future of the healthcare industry? That is a difficult question. Um, I believe that the healthcare industry is an always evolving um, process in itself, and the healthcare industry is always trying to stay prepared for what's to come next. But unfortunately, um, COVID-19 has definitely done a number, and the way that we respond to things now has changed, even down to uh, seeing patients and uh, we were using telemedicine more. Um, it was already in existence prior to COVID, but this has definitely amped up the use of it. And um, we're seeing patients um, on the floor now creating many ICUs. Um, so it's definitely changing things, but futuristically, it's hard to say what to anticipate because we're still trying to manage the chaos we're in now. Right. So do you think that healthcare professionals were prepared for this pandemic? Definitely not. Um, unfortunately, uh, for lack of a better term, we were caught with our pants down. And the idea that one could be prepared for such a horrific virus coming into play um, I think there were things that could have been done if only uh, we'd had the necessary resources and um, also leadership plays a really large part in that. That depends on where you are, what system you work for, um, and then there's also the leadership above us who make those decisions about ventilators and such. Um, you know, those things play a large role in, in what we do and how we're able to provide. And so. Um, 
unfortunately, we were not ready. And um, hopefully we can take this opportunity to be prepared for the future, that nothing like this will happen again. In fact, this hasn't been, um, I mean, I think the last time that we've even faced something like this was like 1918 when we met the Spanish flu. And, you know, there were warning signs then, but um, hopefully moving forward, we can prepare ourselves or better align ourselves to anticipate um, natural disasters like this. I agree. I agree. You know, there have been many healthcare professionals who expressed their interest in leaving the field altogether. They have been complaining that the pandemic has taken a turn for the worse. Why do you think they want to leave the field? And have you expressed your interest in leaving the field? Um, on a regular non-COVID pandemic day, healthcare is a very emotionally taxing job. Um, you know, the majority of people are in it because they care. They um, they have compassion. They genuinely want to see people doing well and getting better. And in saying so, on a, again, non-pandemic day, um, you have challenges that you have to meet people where they are, um, whether it be trying to talk to someone about their hypertension and their diet. You may spend a lot of time talking to them about that, but they may not actually value what you're saying uh, enough to make those lifestyle changes or um, someone with um, heart disease and you're telling them you know what to avoid and they may not value those things until they're actually in a situation where um, you know it's life or death so that being said um, with the pandemic when you have people who still have those same practices or their mindset uh, it's difficult when you're trying to do what you need to do to save their life, but it's being politically influenced or influenced by the media. These are all challenges that, you know, you're not really prepared to face in the sense of just doing your job, carrying out the healthcare side of things. Now it's become a, a more um, a politically fueled effort to kind of manage what the patient believes and ultimately it's their choice mm -hmm. so um yeah i can definitely see why i'm interested in leaving the healthcare sector um, but for me i don't think i've ever thought about actually leaving it completely um definitely you know there are times where you have thoughts of taking a break or stepping back because burnout is real uh, but i don't think i've ever thought about just completely walking away um, i love what i do uh i feel that it chose me, I didn't choose it. And so definitely I'm, I'm invested and I plan on staying around for as long as it will have me. We love to hear it. For those who are skeptical out there, is it true? Are the hospitals really overflowed and overburdened with COVID-19 patients? Or is this just- Absolutely. Really? Yes, yes. Um, Alabama, Tennessee, Mississippi, uh, and I want to say Georgia, um, they don't currently have any ICU beds. And so people are calling from other states trying to see if there are beds. Now that number um, of availability changes on a day-to-day -day basis, but um, that's the most recent um, status. And it is going to continue if we do not get these things under control. Unfortunately, um, it's, it's a problem that we don't want to have. So um, that is accurate information. 
Why is there such a huge distrust between healthcare professionals and their patients in this day and age? You know, I actually read something um, not too long ago that said that about 80% of Americans don't trust um, <laughs> healthcare providers. Um, and, you know, there's something to be said about that. I think there are so many things that have played out in our lifespan that have uh, influenced that reality. Um, and especially speaking for African-Americans, um, there's tons of things that can be said to that. There's um, Henrietta Lacks, the Tuskegee experiment. Um, there are so, so many things. Um, there was a doctor with the last name of Sims who used to do experiments on um, enslaved women with no anesthesia just to see you know, what would happen. Mm. So these things are real um and a lot of times african-american people have not been factored into the concern of the success of clinical trials or things of that nature unless um it was going to benefit the majority and so i think um that being said the concern or the distrust in healthcare is is relatively relatively high um and not only um, is it relatively high? I think it's warranted. I think it's important to acknowledge that there is some mistrust, but there's also it's also important to acknowledge that there are circumstances that have led to this that have not always been acknowledged. So, Dr. Brown, where do we go from now? After the mass, after the vaccine, social distance, what's next? Oh, that is a difficult question also. You know, I would like to think that... You know, thinking positively, uh, like I said, unfortunately, this will be navigated by the political views of our nation. But it is my hope um, that we can voice uh, science over um, suspicion. <laughs> so I hope that uh, science and evidence-based practice will, you know, take the front seat again in healthcare management. Yes. Um, this is a time to restructure, really, and at this point. Uh, it's difficult to say where we will go, but I hope that um, it will go up from here. And it's also going to be determined by how, how many people actually um, volunteer to take the vaccine. That's going to be um, a, a large factor as well. Mm -hmm. Why is the African-American community so disproportionately affected in this pandemic? There are so many things um, that I believe lead to that. And, you know, one of those major things is social determinants of health. Um, you know, people's finances play a large role in um, their ability to provide for their families, as well as their ability to access health care, insurance, what type of jobs do they have? Um, that's that's huge. And there are so many other things like social inequalities, structural inequalities. Um, you know, how far is the, their hospital from their home how long would it take to get there you know um what about their living arrangements so these all play a, a large part in um, their access to care and if they don't have the the resources that they need that makes them more susceptible to um becoming positive uh for covid and that's just the reality unfortunately i agree with the way this country is handling the pandemic, there have been talks of people wanting to leave the country and practice elsewhere. Have you ever had thoughts of leaving? Well, 
I've had thoughts of leaving, but not to practice. <laughs> um, you know, on a lighter note, I would love to go on a vacation because I'm missing that. But um, realistically speaking, not to practice. You know, I feel like there are so many things um, that can be done here in our home communities. And um, I feel like that's my job and I would be doing myself and the people around me and my community a disservice to leave uh, and you know not to judge anyone else who is considering that mm -hmm. everybody has their own limits and it's understandable but um, as for me uh, I can't say that I um, considered that do you believe we will ever go back to normal again <laughs> I believe this is our new normal our new normal is um uh, obviously always evolving uh, you know day to day on the news you hear something new um, but I definitely think that it's been influenced by this you know this past year with everything that has happened I mean realistically speaking um, the past year and a few months because COVID-19 obviously started in 2019 but um, you know I think you're going to see a large change in um, the way people commute, the, a large change in the way um, hospitals allow um, people to enter and exit, you know, long term. Definitely with the pandemic, it's been difficult to have patients inside who can't have their loved ones there. Um, you know, people were used to being able to visit one another and they're not able to do that now. And then now with the ICU beds being um, so limited, you know, you may have to have a family member who goes to the ICU, but they are in Florida. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's the reality of things and it's really unfortunate. And that's a scary thing. But even travel, um, I actually read something most recently uh, in the last week that they are considering requiring COVID-19 vaccinations and proof of that vaccination to travel internationally. And that is to start soon. So um, it's not mandated currently, but I believe you're gonna see that in the next um, couple of months to a year. From a healthcare professional's perspective, is it reasonable for the sake of our health to have a mandatory lockdown for at least six months? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think that it is a reasonable um, thought or um, plan, <laughs> but um, I'm not sure what that will look like um, if if our nation will be able to pull that off. And I say that because it's reasonable that people um, would want to eliminate this virus. You know, you know, just being being transparent. But I don't know that our nation can pull that off. <laughs> There have been articles and reports that countries such as Australia have completely opened back up due to the fact that they actually did shut down for six to eight months. Do you think Americans have the capability to do the same? Again, excellent <laughs> question. So I, I believe that Americans do have the capability to do the same, but I don't know if they, I say they, I'm an American. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we as um, Americans can put our needs, desires, feelings, um, you know, there's a lot of tension currently in the media and the news and, you know, just realistically speaking, there's a lot going on. And um, I don't know that the unity that is desired can come together to actually implement a six month or six to eight month shutdown. Um, 
but I definitely understand the need for it. But currently, you know, people aren't doing the thing that's free, you know? People aren't wearing masks, or if they're wearing masks, they're not covering their nose, they have them under their chin, or they're wearing face shields and assuming that that's all the protection that they need. Um, you know, I, I just, I, it being positive, I think it could be done, but it would require great leadership. So that is, um, that's something <laughs> that I hope to see in the future. Right. Let's talk about the vaccine. Was it rushed? Um, I think, you know, vaccinations or medications in general, they typically take about 10 to 15 years to be cleared by a clinical trial and to, uh, before they even hit the shelf. For example, Tylenol, you know, they knew about Tylenol 15 years before it hit the shelf, but it's been in the works. And so currently, um, the COVID-19 vaccine has not been FDA approved currently, but it's because um, an emergency authorization has been given. So essentially with Pfizer vaccine, it's 95% um, successful in the trials thus far. And even to get to that point where you can actually try it on people, this had to already be in place. And so there's a multi- um, step process that takes place and so um even with the moderna vaccine it's uh 94.1 percent um uh, effective but again these are all things that have to take place and so even though there has been this surge in COVID 19 these factors were already in place to work on this because again uh COVID 19 is a um uh, let's just say for like of a better term they're they're the cousin to sars and SARS, as we know, has already been around. So that's how we were able to get the information to work toward um, researching a COVID-19. It, again, was a, um, it was related to SARS. So um, to say it's rushed, I, I think it's a valid concern of people to have. I don't want to discredit anyone's thoughts um, saying that they're overreacting or that they, they have concerns of it. I think it is valid for them to have those concerns but because the information wasn't readily available up front and so um you know obviously that will create hesitation so uh, i wouldn't say that necessarily um that the development or the research of the vaccine was rushed but the actual um access to the people i mean it was an emergency so yes i would say yes can the African-American community trust this vaccine, considering the history of syphilis and all the other medical injustices? I think it's important for everybody to have, you know, all the information, mm -hmm. all the information in order to make the decision that they feel is best for them. I think that, as you mentioned, you know, with syphilis and uh, DNA being taken and you know, experimental surgeries and all these things are definitely warranted in the anxieties and the, um, you know, them being unsure about how they need to proceed, especially if they're not medical professionals. I definitely think that these are things that should be acknowledged. Um, however, I do think that at this point, you know, we, we don't have anything else and African-Americans are dying at a disproportionate rate. And again, mainly that's due to the socio-economic um, statuses or the social determinants of health. 
um, because a lot of people are in a position where they don't necessarily have um, what they need to make these decisions um, or they don't have the, the resources set. They may be working as, um, you know, a cashier or, or a custodial worker or a bus driver or a mechanic or, um, you know, someone who is not in the medical field. And so making that decision, they may be concerned about them becoming sick um, or having symptoms that could cause them to go to a hospital and they may be concerned about the insurance. Um, you know, and if they get sick or if they have symptoms, who's going to, you know, do their job for them? How's that going to affect their income? So I definitely think that these are concerns. Um, and But I think they should definitely get all the information. And also the information is available on the CDC if they want to read more about it. But I like to make sure that people have the information as, as opposed to telling them what they should or shouldn't do. But I feel like providing them with that information will allow them to make their own informed decision. Um, are healthcare workers required to take the vaccine so far? Currently, it's an optional um, decision. Um, you know, this is not FDA approved currently. So this is a uh, clinical trial still technically, um, but it is not mandated at this time. They still have the option to opt in or opt out, but the um, tier for Alabama currently is healthcare providers. And then, um, you know, that's going to be the frontline people. There's also going to be um, the people who are higher risk, um, those with comorbidities. So once, it is my understanding, and once you opt out, then the vaccination will be passed down to the next available party. Is the fear for the vaccine reasonable or is it media influenced? Oh, I definitely think it's reasonable. Um, I think it's reasonable because it's the unknown. Anytime you're not completely sure 100%, um, then yeah, there's some anxiety and fear associated with it. And although the vaccine, they've been working on it, um, that does not mean that we know what the long-term effects are going to be from the vaccine. You know, we don't know what it's gonna be like five or 10 years down the road um, for those who, um, you know, took something that they've never tried before. And that's just the reality of it. But it's also, um, you know, it, it creates great fear and then, people who are, again, non-medical and people who are medical. There are people who are medical who have concerns. I mean, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's realistic to say that not all healthcare providers are gonna be on board with this vaccination. Um, so yeah, I definitely think it's a, a reasonable concern. Have you personally experienced any changes in your work setting? For instance, like stricter rules or, you know, lesser lunch time? Uh, I don't get a lunch. <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. um, yes. Um, I walk around with a face mask on all day, a whole respirator. So, I mean, it's it's pretty strict. Um, and again, like I mentioned before, ICU beds are filling up. And so they're having to transition and create COVID units on the floor. You know, it's, it's, mm. it is, it's serious. Um, you know, you have to be mindful of the PPE that you use, the personal protective equipment, how much are you using, um, you know, how often are you exposed to a patient who is COVID positive? These are things that you have to be aware. You don't want to spend too much time in a room. You want to make sure that you are um, 
you know, you're not mixing providers who were, um, you know, working with COVID patients consistently all day and then throwing that, that uh, nurse into a room with patients who are not, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of things. There are a lot of things that are going on um, and that supervisors and uh, administrators have to be really aware of, but there are definitely stricter precautions and even access to the hospital. I mean, you, you can't get in without being screened, so. How do you feel this will affect hospitals when the entire pandemic is over? You know, I think uh, there's gonna be still a, a good amount of restrictions as opposed to how frequently um, someone can come. And a lot of times um, now they're listing one person that can visit a patient. Um, I don't know what that time frame is, but you know that, so you're not bringing multiple people in and out because although the patient is the person who is being treated for whatever the condition is, there's also the person who is going to be leaving who could potentially go spread that. So I think it's just going to be a lot. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we have infrared um, thermometers at the doorway, like metal detectors in the future, <laughs> like you go to the airport. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Right. <laughs> so it's hard to say, but I can envision that. How do you feel this will affect the way education is structured? Oh, definitely. Education is a big part of that because universities and colleges are like breeding grounds for <laughs> um, COVID-19. I mean, even before COVID-19, flu and um, any other infection. Um, but that being said, these people are way more mobile. And so I think right now, there, although there is not a requirement for people to get COVID-19 vaccines. I think with education, you're eventually going to see that as a requirement, like you would see that as a requirement uh, for a TB vaccine to, to enter the college, or uh, I think you're gonna see that eventually. And I think the only reason why right now is because it's not mandated or uh, approved by the FDA. And I think ultimately in the future, you're, you're going to see that because of this specific pandemic and how many people were affected. Right. Why do you feel there is a vaccine for COVID-19, but there has not been a vaccine for cancer or diabetes and heart problems? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And I think that really stems, too, from the population who is affected. Um, and unfortunately, um, there are so many people dying on a daily basis. But most recently, this has been... Um, something that has not only affected the U.S., but nationwide. And I think, um, excuse me, not nationwide, internationally. Um, I think that is going to be something, too, that you may see in the future. I mean, there technically there are, um, you know, HPV can cause cancer. And so there is an HPV vaccination currently for women. So, um, you know, there, there are some things in the works. But as I mentioned before, it takes, you know, 13 to 15 years for these trials to roll out and be made known to the public. So there could be something in the works that we just haven't seen yet. Have you personally experienced more burnout at work because of the pandemic? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, one thing in particular, you know that you're going to do your job. And I don't think that 
necessarily that it has changed the, the compassion um, or the structure or the way I do my job, but you know, it's really emotionally taxing. Um, I had a conversation with a patient who was, you know, getting worse. And I had to have a conversation about if they were going to allow us to put them on a ventilator. And the patient looked me in the eye and said, can you promise me, can you promise me that you can take me off of this? Can I get off of this ventilator? Mm. And unfortunately my answer was no, I could not, I could not make that promise. And the patient looked me in the eye and said, no, I will just take my chances. And that was tough because he was not the only person that, you know, I have seen pass in this situation. So it's really challenging when you have situations like that. Um, you know, you keep doing the same thing every day. And then even when you are trying to, you know, you're, you're outside of the, the situation, somebody else, you know, um, you know, gets COVID and, you know, comorbidities are a real thing. And, you know, you're seeing this and especially in the African-American community. I don't think it's that people aren't taking it serious in the African-American community. I just think that for sure they have multiple comorbidities such as hypertension, diabetes, um, obesity, and that just puts them more at risk. So it's definitely burnout is real because you're seeing these people that you know, you're seeing people that you don't know, you're seeing people who are affected by the other people. It's just an ongoing thing. And I think we're just all tired of COVID-19. So yeah, burnout is true and I've definitely experienced more. Wow. So Dr. Brown, the tough question, what is really going on in the hospitals? Are the doctors telling patients they have COVID for the sake of getting a check by the pharmaceutical industry? Now, I have heard this, but I cannot <laughs> speak to the, the truth in this statement. I personally have not seen this. Mm -hmm. I have personally never been affiliated with this or witnessed it. But I will tell you that the people that I see in the hospital, the people that I see in the ICU, mm -hmm. the nurses that are taking care of these people, the, you know, the pulmonologists who are pushing through, the respiratory therapist that is putting their life on the line every time they enter the room, this is real. And uh, definitely... Um, these people who are on ventilators or wanting not to be on them or wanting to get off, these people are real and they are not pretending. So yeah, I can't say that I've seen that, um, but I have heard that, um, that chatter also. But uh, again, I have no evidence to support that, um, <laughs> nor would I ever um, endorse that. Right. Have you personally seen a mental health crisis within the healthcare community, such as the actual healthcare workers? Absolutely. Um, like I mentioned before, people are tired. Um, you know, death is one of those things that in healthcare, you know that you're going to um, encounter, whether it be a family member of someone, whether it be your actual patient, you just know it's a part of the process. However, it does not make it any easier. And so people are pushed to the limit. Um, even people who are not able to take off days as, as they would like to because maybe someone's sick. Um, and in healthcare, I would really love for um, us to normalize when you are sick or you are not feeling well to not come to work. Uh, I think that plays a large part in it too. There's an expectation 
for nurses to show up at the bedside, whether they're feeling well or not. But what example is that setting if we are not um, able to implement what we practice or preach? Um, excuse me, but we're not able to implement what we are preaching. So I really think that that plays a large role in it. People aren't getting enough sleep. Um, you know, people are already anxious about the virus in general, and anxiety is definitely a mental health issue. Um, people are getting depressed. It's real. You keep losing people. You know, you go in one day and you go in the next day and the patient you saw, you know, eight hours ago isn't there and they didn't go home. So it is taxing. Um, it's also um, playing a major role with communicating with the family members who aren't there. They're anxious, they're upset, they're stressed. They're trying to decide if they need to make decisions for end of life um, with their loved ones or if the family member that's in the hospital had a wheel. You know, these are all things and, um, that uh, are playing a large role because not only are the nurses and just healthcare providers in general, not only are healthcare professionals um, providing the care, they are also the patients sometimes. They're also the family members of, you know, the loved one that's in the bed. And so that on top of everything, I'm, t I'm definitely seeing a lot more of this. Um, yeah, and, and even those with um, ADHD, they're having a hard time focusing um, it's just a big deal. It's a big, it's a big problem. And uh, I think mental health care needs a lot more attention than it's getting. Mm. What advice can you give the listeners about COVID from a healthcare perspective? Uh, I think one of the major things is please be hypervigilant about your, your mask wearing, your hand washing, your, you know, if you're not feeling well, take a step back ask yourself, are you experiencing these symptoms? And if the answer is yes to any of those, please don't go into um, an area where there are going to be multiple people and expose them. I think it's important for us to be selfless um, and think of others. And, you know, you don't know who you're going to potentially infect and vice versa. Um, I think also, please take the time to, to look at all of the potentials um, with the vaccine. And just one more thing on the, the COVID vaccine. Uh, there are two different kinds. One of those, again, is the Pfizer vaccine, which uh, I mentioned that it was 95% effective in the clinical trials. That vaccine is gonna be mostly for people 16 years or older. And it does require two injections. One day, um, the first time you're gonna get it, you're gonna get the next one 21 days apart. And then there's the Moderna vaccine. Um, it's also, as I mentioned, 94.1% effective, but that's gonna be mostly for people 18 and older. And so um, the vaccine also is gonna have two different injection times. So the first time you get it um, is day one and then 28 days apart. And essentially, just make sure that um, you read up on any concerns that you may have, any type of side effects. Typically, they're going to monitor you for about 15 to 30 minutes before you leave. But if they offer you the vaccine and you're not sure about it, this is the time to go ahead and be kind of looking into it. Um, but it's going to be up to you whether you take it. But please be aware that there is some conversation out there about if you're planning to travel internationally, you may not be able to do that or purchase a ticket in the future without that verification. So not to pressure you, I just really want you to understand um, what the options are. 
COVID-19 is a deadly killer and I'm seeing tons and tons of people out there um, get admitted or transferred or become infected, but it doesn't have to be you. Um, so please stay vigilant. And then one last thing I want to share with you, if there's anybody out there who is experiencing a mental health issue, whether it be anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, um, ADHD, you are not alone. There are so many people available who are willing to talk to you and help you. And if you are not sure what you need to do, there's also the availability of a therapist and you don't have to necessarily have something going on to reach out to one. So those are the main things I definitely want to reinforce. Um, and um, I hope that my information was helpful. I love it. And one last question. So now that we live in the age of fact-checking, where can we find reliable information? Excellent question. So I uh, would suggest going to the FDA.gov. Um, that is going to be the entity that will essentially classify one of these vaccinations to say which um, is approved first. Um, so that being said, FDA is going to tell you what the ramifications, well not the ramifications, but FDA is going to tell you what the qualifications are to actually become FDA approved. So they have a standard as well. So although there is a clinical trial, the FDA will say, if these things are not met, then I can't FDA approve you. So definitely check that out. And then you can also go, obviously, the CDC.gov. Um, they're an objective um resource to find the information out and then not only the CDC there's also who so it's WHO um, and you want to check them out because that's going to be worldwide all of the vaccinations that are being considered thank you so 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 much Dr. Brown for speaking with us and educating us on COVID-19 from a nurse practitioner's perspective Thank you so much. I loved um, being on the show and I'll be back anytime you'll have me. Yes. And for more education, inspiration and representation, stay tuned for episode number seven.